so like, you know, my bio says I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Uh, my mom, my two siblings, we lived with our grandparents, um, Rafaela and Robert Haslip. Um, my brother, my mother, Dolores Steva, and my two siblings, Michael and Mercedes uh, Steva. Um, and we were, we were raised in a very loving home. Although we didn't have, I didn't know we didn't have until I was well into my junior high school years and high school years. Um, as I shared with uh, one of the gentlemen here this morning, I didn't understand when my grandmother said it was time to go to bed with your coat on. Make sure you got your coat, your hat on. Um, I didn't know that the heat wasn't working or the boiler wasn't uh, working or we couldn't uh, pay the bills uh, that particular month. But we lived and we lived in a house of love. Although we didn't have much, um, this woman that stood about five foot two because my grandfather died early in my life. He died when he was about 62 years old when he passed away. And so although I got a chance to uh, see my grandfather, I didn't really know a lot about him until later years. I understood that he was a self-educated man. Uh, he spoke three languages. Uh, my great-grandfather was a Dutch ambassador from Curacao, and so he migrated his family to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and that's where my grandfather and his siblings were born and raised before they came to Brooklyn, New York, at which time my great-grandfather started the first Democratic Club in Brooklyn, and he was helping people of Carib uh, Caribbean uh, descent who were coming into the U.S. to find their way, to find their footing. And so these are things I got to learn about my grandfather and my, and my heritage later on in life. But we lived with my mother, Dolores uh, Steva, um, who meant everything to me. Uh, my mother was my confidant. Uh, you know, uh, she was married before my dad uh, to a gentleman. Uh, you see my sister, my brother's last name was Steva. Um, he, was, he served in the Korean War. And through that fighting and all that went on there, he became a drug addict. And so my sisters, my siblings never got a chance to know their father. But my mother met my father, Marcos Ramos. And together, I was formed. Um, and, but we lived our entire life with our grandparents. Um, my dad, although he and my mom were never married, my father was very limited in what he can do. Um, he was a very hardworking factory man. Um, but he really couldn't pour into me the things that I really struggled with. You know, my uh, growing up under uh, the watchful eye of my grandmother, who took care of us while my mother went to work, it was very hard. Uh, she had to rule with an iron hand so that I wouldn't fall prey to the elements of the community. And so, you know, my upbringing was was of love, but we didn't have. But that didn't stop us. She didn't want us to know that we were without. Um, and so that was one of the things I had to deal with. Um, a lot of what I struggled with though, was an identity. When you grow up, uh, though we had love and we had a home and we had food on the table, um, as a young man, as you know, many of you, when you're navigating manhood, you need to find what your identity is. Um, you need to find what your purpose is. 
And I struggled with that because I was the youngest, I was protected, and I wasn't allowed to really venture out and really try to find myself. My dad could only do so much um, because he was working. He wasn't, well, he and my mom weren't together. So he really didn't have the opportunity to show me uh, what I needed to know. So a lot of what I struggled with um, in life was due to the fact that I really didn't know who I was. I tried to fit in. You know, if I saw a group of kids and they were doing one thing just to fit in with that group, I would try to emulate um, relationships. I didn't know what healthy relationships looked like in terms of marriage. I knew I had a mother, I knew I had a father, but I didn't know what went in and what would entail to develop a relationship with someone else. And, you know, my later years, I would struggle with that. I would struggle with relationships. Um, I married three times. First two marriages were failed marriages because I didn't understand what marriage was, because I didn't understand who I was. So how could I be something to someone else and I didn't really know who I was? So I struggled with that. Um, but I began to try to figure things out for myself. And we all know that when you try to figure things out for yourself and you don't really have a game plan, you don't have a blueprint, that's setting you up for failure. And so I did a lot of struggling. Um, my teenage years, as I began to really see life for what it was, I became, I was more or less of a, an introvert but I was a, a, a young man that was suffering in silence because I didn't have a voice. You know, my grandmother did the best she could. My mother did the best she could. But you know, back in those days, you say you're seen but not heard. You know, you just had to deal with it. You had to suck it up. Um, and that made me very angry. Um, I watched my mother work herself literally to death. My mother got, never got a chance to enjoy a 401k plan. She never got the opportunity to retire. She worked for the United States Customs uh, when they were in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and I now remember when she moved into when they built the World Trade Center. Um, and that is where she died. My mother was 52 years old when she left work and never got to the train. She died right there. So I became really angry. And I said, how was life? It's not fair. Here it is, they tell you that God will protect you, mm. God will provide for you. Mm. But who protected and provided for my mother? She only lived to be 52. So I lost my grandfather at 62. I lost my mother at 52. And I cursed God. Mm. I said, I want nothing to do with this. Mm. I said, the one thing it really meant something to me, you took it. How am I supposed to worship you? How am I supposed to love you? Who loves us? Who's protecting us? And that was a, a recipe for failure. But I believe it was the beginning of my evolution. Because I struggled. I had to really hit rock bottom. I did drugs, alcohol, womanized, um, I just did destructive behavior. All lashing out because I wanted to be heard and I wanted to be felt and I didn't know who to go to. The one person I thought I 
to go to fail me. That's how I felt. And so my life kind of spiraled for a long time. Because um, I had, originally I had a plan. I thought I would have a plan. Coming out of high school, I played football. I was very good at it. But I didn't want to go any further than that. The reason why I played football is because I was angry. Every time I hit somebody, every time I did something, it was personal. Um, and that was, now that I look back on it, I said, that was pretty disturbing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You looked at the guy, if you killed him, if you hurt him, you didn't care. Because it was your way of releasing. Because I didn't know I could sit with a therapist. I didn't know I could sit with a counselor. Um, and so coming out of going through high school, which was a, a, a episode in its own, because originally I started out in a high school in Brooklyn and I was bullied. Got into it, guys, and this was going on. And I, I finally was asked to leave the high school because I pulled a knife on a kid in homeroom and I held him at knife point. Um, fast forward, my mother sends me to Queens with my uncle, which is where I kind of get introduced, reintroduced to Christ. Hmm. Um, but it was more or less like a punishment. He was rebuilding his house. I got into trouble. So he says, during the day, you're going to help me cut wood. You're going to help me put up sheetrock. And then you're going to walk about 15 blocks to school. I'm not taking the bus. I'm not dropping you off. Um, so my thing coming out of high school, I say, you know what? I'm going to go into the military. Military is one way for me to get away from home, try to figure out who I was. But... I uh, applied to go into the Coast Guard back in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. I graduated in 1980. Um, it was hard to get into the Coast Guard. You had to take an exam. You had to study for the exam. Um, my uncle helped me study for it. I passed it, but then I graduated six months early from high school. And by the time I got my physical diploma, the window of opportunity to go into the Coast Guard closed. So now I had no backup plan. I didn't go out to any recruiting for football, for college, and so I kind of spiraled, spiraled out of control. But it wasn't until about 1983 where I got an opportunity again to go um, and see what I was really made of, and I went into the Army National Guard. And when I went into the Army National Guard, here I was, was in basic training. The training was, was, was hard, it was long, drill stages were hard, but it was the first time somebody was actually challenging me and pushing me to the pinnacle of trying to figure out things, trying to figure out who you were. And I think that that experience in itself allowed me to eventually work for the city. I started out in the Department of Transportation and kind of worked myself up the ranks. Um, and I was in engineering. And they were sending me back to school for civil engineering, but I had a, a very, I had a very difficult boss, and it was hard for me to balance the two. And um, at that time, I said that was it. Ten years, I took, a, I had taken a test with New York City Police Department. That came around, and I left there, and I went into the New York City Police Department. Uh, in my time with the police department, again, I began to find my voice. I began to find that I could deal with some things, at least, and still being challenged, 
still having bad situations. Um, there were times I felt suicidal. There were times I felt that maybe somebody take me out. You know, that's the you know, I end my life and that's it. I wasn't going to do it, but if somebody else did it, fine. But I kind of kept making these mishaps in life, and I think God was just setting that encounter situation up. And so um, I had been in the National Guard for a while. Um, I had been deployed to Bosnia during the uh, the Bosnian conflict, a lot of you don't know, it was during that time when it was a lot of the ethnic cleansing and we were sent in to uh, retrieve a lot of the war criminals um, and help people get st stabilized in that region at that time. I spent about a year there from 99 to 2000. But then I got this, uh, uh, the war in Iraq came up in 2003. And so we redeployed Again, still at that time, I was dealing with some things. I had come out of a bad marriage. Um, I was trying to figure some things out with my children. At that time, I had two children, two girls, who I took care of, but I didn't have custody of. And we had joint custody. So spending weekends with them and doing as much as I could for them as a father and not wanting them to feel what I felt. Uh, so I got deployed, and things were pretty hectic, pretty crazy, because we were there in 2003. It's pretty much the beginning of everything happening. Uh, no, you know, we're sleeping out in the open, sleeping in blown out buildings sometimes. Um, and it happened one particular night. One particular night, I was sitting on the banks of the Euphrates River. And at that particular time, I looked up in the stars and I said, out of all the craziness in this country, um, I'm talking to God and saying, God, if I can get out of this situation, I need to turn things around. I really need to see, hear, and feel you. Um, and God gave me an opportunity through an encounter. And that encounter, um, about three days later, I developed an illness, things that I was dealing with, and I was out of that country. And I think that's the first time God said, you know what, I hear you now. And now I'm going to hold you accountable to what you just said to me. And it reminded me of, of Genesis 3, 22 to 31, when Jacob had an encounter with God, and he didn't want to leave. He wanted to cling on to God so much that God said, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Because I only knew him as a trickster. I only knew him as somebody taking shortcuts. But now, I'm going to give you another opportunity. And so I was brought out of that country. Nobody knew what the illness was. Nobody understood what was going on with me. But that was the first time God, I felt God's presence. And through that encounter, he spoke to me and said, I'm going to position you. You've been changing your address for so long. I've been trying to deliver your purpose to you. And I had to position you in a place where you had no choice but to listen, mm -hmm. to hear me, and to feel me. Mm -hmm. And what I want you to understand is when God positions you, he gives you an identity. Yes, sir. He gives you your purpose. Yes, sir. He provides you the provisions that you need. And then he also gives you the parameters. 
how it's going to work, what the rules are. And for the first time, I felt complete. And that's why I stand before you today as Ray Ramos, the minister, Ray Ramos, the mentor, Ray Ramos, the, the coordinator for Inspire Sports Camps, which has given me an opportunity. God says, you now have a blueprint but you had to establish the foundation first mm -hmm. so that you can build upon this blueprint. Yeah. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I need you to be a laborer. Faith without works is void. Mm -hmm. We can have all the faith we want, but if we're not applying it, if we're not putting it to work, then we're not doing what we're called to do as men. As men, we are called under a governorship. When God says you're the head, that means that you're following the governorship. You're following his blueprint. And through your mannerism, through your actions, that's how people will respond. That's how your families will grow because they see that you're following the blueprint. You're following the governorship. You're following. So now you take on this title as man, as father. And so that's what I wanted to share with you. I wanted to share with you that God will give you position, he will give you purpose, he will give you identity, but it begins with an encounter. So there are three questions I want to leave you with this morning before I, before I step off. Do you remember a time that you had an encounter with God? The second question is, is there an aspect of your life where you are strategically positioned right now? I heard the gentleman say it. There are a lot of men in here that have position. A lot of men in here that have uh, uh, wealth. A lot of men that have it. But are you, where are you positioned right now? And do you feel like there is a specific way God wants to use you today? See, in 2023, I've now incorporated what I call the Nehemiah mindset. Nehemiah lamented. He prayed to God because of the, the walls and the temple that had crawled. But what it was is through that Nehemiah mindset, he, he developed unity. Everybody had to do their part in order to restructure those walls, those eight-foot walls, those 40-foot high walls. It took community. It took unity. We need to be in that Nehemiah mindset because God has a purpose of restoration. What took me years to destroy, God took seconds to restore. Come on, brother.